Thank you very much, Lawrence. Great privilege to be here. My recollection is that this is the second time that I have been in this august building, and that the first time was decades ago when I was fined. Uh, the Labour Club, uh, which, on whose committee I, I sat, uh, design, decided to put on a play by Berthold Brecht, and the university authorities said, you're not a dramatic society, you're a political society. So we said we thought Bertolt Breck was a better way of putting our political point across. Well, the uh, university didn't agree, and uh, we were all slightly the poorer. So I take it this is a slightly more genial occasion. Well, I am uh, going to speak very much about the papers, because I was responsible for having them deposited in the Bodleian. Uh, they consist of, of uh, three uh, broad elements, I think. One, the uh, 38 boxes, as they were originally, that Jim had in his own uh, possession uh, when I started working on them. They were down on the farm in Sussex. Secondly, uh, the papers uh, that were in the London School of Economics, 17 boxes, and I remember that very well because I said to Jim, you've got all your papers together in one place, so really the papers in the London School of Economics should be transferred to the Bodleian. So Jim said, well, thanks, Ken. Yeah, perhaps you could explain that to the librarian of the London School of Economics. If any of you played rugby, that is what is called a hospital pass. <laughs> you can't win. And uh, the librarian, Dr. Raspin, wasn't very pleased. It was a bit like asking Mrs. Thatcher whether she shouldn't consider resigning. Uh, and at any rate, in due course, they were here. And then the other uh, collections of uh, material, I'm not quite sure how many are here, actually, are various manuscript notes that uh, Jim uh, took on various matters. Uh, uh, which were quite fascinating. Uh, one that sticks most vividly in my mind was when uh, there's a passage when Harold Wilson, when uh, Jim became Prime Minister in 1976, uh, told him that he was certain that number 10 was being bugged by MI5 or somebody, and the question arose uh, where the bug was. And uh, Harold's view was it was behind the portrait of Mr. Gladstone in a living room in 10 Downing Street. And Jim said he did look behind Mr. Gladstone, but just found a little bracket or something. But at any rate, fascinating nuggets like that, I'm sure, enliven uh, this collection. Well, I, we have other distinguished speakers. I don't want to be overlong. I'll just pick out a few themes where it seems to me that the uh, papers are particularly uh, illuminating. One, unquestionably, and throughout his career, uh, Jim Callaghan as a trade unionist. He is effectively our, our only ever uh, Prime Minister who was a, a working trade unionist. He began in the Inland Revenue Staff Federation. He was a tax a collector, a re very rebellious member of that union, he led a kind of revolt, partly by people who are not university graduates. And that, was, that is vividly documented in the, in, in the papers here, uh, as is his relationship uh, to the then 
General Secretary of the Union, Douglas Houghton, a famous man who became later on a Labour MP and indeed possibly in your time, David Chairman, I think, of the Parliamentary Party. And he first encountered Jim, whom he had intended to be his successor in, I think, 1932. Jim Callaghan's connection with the unions was fundamental to his outlook. Uh, he uh, would uh, criticise uh, Labour leaders who didn't understand central points about the unions. I remember his criticising Hugh Gateskill to me for not understanding the importance of the union rule book uh, as fundamental uh, to the union's role. And uh, of course there is material about the arguments in the late 1960s about in place of strife when Jim uh, argued uh, against uh, that uh, document and legislation which would have uh, attached legal sanctions to aspects of trade union activity. Uh, there was, when we had a meeting in uh, Manchester earlier, there were um, various people present, uh, Margaret and uh, Michael and indeed my wife, uh, uh, who can verify. We had, there was an interesting exchange, I thought, between myself and Geoffrey Goodman, a uh, very uh, distinguished Labour uh, correspondent. And it just tells you something about history. Jim, uh, according to Geoffrey, told him very clearly and firmly that he felt he'd made a great mistake about in place of strife and that uh, a lot of the problems later uh, arose from that. Uh, and I observed uh, that uh, it was interesting because Jim told me the exact opposite, that he thought that he actually uh, was right all along. So what does one conclude? I, I mean, I think Jeffrey Goodman is an absolutely 100% reliable witness. And I know what I heard. Uh, therefore, one can only conclude that Jim said different things to both of us. And uh, it'll be interesting in discussion, perhaps, to see what conclusions one draws. But there it is, the, the union central to, uh, uh, to Jim. And uh, uh, when I used to talk to him in the, on the farm in the mid-1990s, or later 1990s, really, very critical of uh, New Labour uh, for... Uh, marginalising the unions as he saw it. There is material on Jim as a junior minister, just briefly, a very brief word on this, that he was a very rebellious junior minister. Uh, he led a significant backbench rebellion against the government, uh, which led to national, the period of national service being cut cut down to a year for a time. That's a pretty fundamental shift in a policy that uh, he caused. And it seems to me uh, Attlee was remarkably uh, benevolent uh, and forgiving uh, in uh, nevertheless promoting Jim to junior office uh, uh, soon after. But uh, he was an interesting junior minister, always his own man. He was a very uh, strong-minded person and one extract from his diary, I recall, when he was a junior minister, is in 1948, during the Criminal Justice Bill, when he and, I think, Geoffrey de Freitas and one or two other uh, junior ministers stood up against Herbert Morrison, 
and said they were not going to support the continuation of capital punishment, which was uh, an issue that arose in that particular bill. So interesting phases of his career, even at this early stage. There is a great deal on what I regard as a very central phase of his career, shadow colonial secretary. He took over as colonial secretary after Naib Evan, uh, just uh, after uh, Suez. It was a very important period for the Labour Party, Labour perhaps for the first time in its history forming a coherent policy on colonial matters, uh, and in Africa, uh, particularly, uh, this was a crucial issue of the time. It's difficult to imagine this now, but at that period, Kenya, Uganda, Central African Federation were central uh, issues of the time. And Jim became very close to a significant number of key African leaders, Kenneth Kaunda, Julius Nyerere, Joshua Nkomo, uh, Tom Maboya, who was sadly assassinated when he was young. And it seems to me very important phase for the Labour Party and a very important phase in Jim's career. He'd been very much a domestic politician concerned with you know, transport and fuel and power and issues of this kind. And he develops this global view which visibly, I believe, expands him as a, uh, as a statesman, as someone with a global viewpoint. There is much very interesting material, which uh, Peter Jay, who I see in him, he will be able to expand on, on Jim as Chancellor. A very hard time. Uh, it began, I think, with the fact that there was an alternative administration, the DEA, the Department of Economic Affairs, headed by the a combustible figure of George Brown. But I think it's fair to say that even if uh, uh, St. Michael had been the, uh, at the DEA, that it would have produced problems. The agreement was uh, that uh, the Treasury would look at the short term, but this did not exclude the long term, and the DEA would look at the long term, but this did not exclude the short term. So I think another hospital pass, if there's any, uh, anything calculated abuse of problems. And, and there are many fascinating uh, forms of, of material, uh, particularly about the great um, argument of the period whether Britain should or should not devalue the pound. And this uh, cast a shadow over the Treasury in Jim's time for his very first day in late October uh, 1964 until the pound was uh, devalued in November uh, 1967. Um, and although now much of the received wisdom is that the pound should have been devalued, uh, perhaps even straight away. At the time, uh, there were many, many significant economic uh, figures of great stature who argued the uh, reverse. And I recall uh, Douglas Jay, uh, Peter's father, arguing it uh, both verbally and, and in, in writing that for various reasons, including perhaps the possibility of a competitive 
devaluation that the pound should retain its value. So this is spelled out, and Jim, in my view, reached his decision very, very late, much later than people thought. Uh, in, on, if I recall correctly, late uh, the, the latter part of the day on the 13th of November, just uh, five days before the pound was actually uh, devalued. So the whole um, argument continued, and again, the papers document this in many important ways. Another important phase, nothing to say here, Ireland. Ireland is central to Jim's stature as a politician, feeling depressed and defeated after devaluation of the pound. Uh, Ireland restoring him to very considerable authority. The papers actually don't say anything about that, uh, uh, I think because uh, Ireland didn't have a separate administrative category. It was just shoved in with other aspects of home office matters. But uh, if you are going to use the Callaghan papers, do, in my opinion, bear in mind the centrality of Ireland. And in the 70s, he became foreign secretary and then dealt uh, uh, in a major way with foreign affairs when he was prime minister, when Lord Owen was, of course, his foreign uh, secretary. Uh, the papers illuminate a fundamental theme, his relationship to the United States and his relationship uh, to Europe. He had a, a good relationship with Henry Kissinger, whom I um, uh, interviewed, uh, but this did certainly not uh, mean that Jim was a pushover and over a number of issues, including, for example, the attitude to be taken to the revolution in Portugal. Uh, Jim uh, kept uh, his own viewpoint and argued it with great effect. He became quite close to Jimmy Carter, a fellow Baptist, uh, which helped, uh, and they worked together uh, closely uh, in uh, defining the Camp David agreement between Israel and Egypt at the end of the 70s. But the person he was closest with, and I'm very glad to see that the material on display illustrate that, was uh, uh, Helmut Schmidt, Chancellor of, of Germany, who, who I uh, interviewed myself and, and uh, I think it's the most interesting interview I've ever had with anyone. Uh, uh, deeply fascinating. Uh, Jim playing a central role. Tony Blair used to talk about being the bridge between uh, America and Europe. And, well, we can have our own views on that. So Jim uh, was, I think, an effective bridge. Uh, particularly so because Carter and Schmidt uh, didn't get along and, and Schmidt told me in no uncertain terms of his uh, uh, low opinion of the American president. I know Jim used to quote a famous old Welsh phrase, you forgive me, Vorbid ben bid bont, he who seeks to lead uh, should be a bridge and that is what he uh, attempted uh, to do. And uh, In my opinion, others will have their highly informed views, uh, I think he was very effective in uh, foreign policy and a whole range of areas uh, from the Helsinki Treaty to avoiding a war in the Falklands. As Prime Minister, we have, I, I think it would be redundant really for me to say much about that because we have 
uh, Lord Donoghue, who headed the policy unit, and Lord Owen, who occupied absolutely key uh, position uh, in the government. A very strikingly effective prime minister in many ways, I think. He created his own uh, structure, which uh, I know Bernard Donoghue had a very great deal uh, uh, to do with, but very anxious to find his own particular forms of advice and assistance as well. And he created a thing, I, I'd be fascinated to know if Bernard could say something about the so-called economic seminar, uh, which Jim uh, created uh, separate, uh, almost a kind of private uh, committee of his own, the purpose of which, I believe, was to give him an alternative source of economic advice to what he was getting from the Treasury. And having been Chancellor, he had a well-developed scepticism about the kind of advice that he was likely uh, to receive. Uh, the, the other thing that occurs to me, Jim was anxious to be a good chairman, to exercise collective responsibility. His cabinet, notably during the International Monetary Fund crisis, operated collectively. Perhaps he's the last Prime Minister to operate in that way and have lengthy uh, debates in which all members of the cabinet could uh, participate, at the same time anxious to impose himself, and uh, notably so in foreign affairs, I mentioned, and also uh, famously in connection with uh, education and the Ruskin speech, which I believe Lord Donoghue actually wrote, and there was a powerful statement of Jim's views and the views of his advisors on the need for uh, educational uh, standards. Uh, and Jim himself uh, had wanted to be a Secretary of State for Education in 1967 when he let, left the Treasury. Uh, but was told, interestingly, by Harold Wilson that that wasn't an important enough job for him. <laughs> and so he, he went to be Home Secretary uh, instead. Uh, some things he didn't care much about. Uh, devolution, it seemed to be, he had no particular interest in. And when I told him as a Welshman I was uh, strongly in favour of devolution, he was really rather aghast, and even though I pointed out it was his government that had actually introduced devolution in the first place. Winter of discontent, as random materials on this, the uh, way in which Jim's close relationship with the unions uh, sours and uh, disintegrates, uh, deeply depressed uh, by it, uh, illustration of that, and particularly the terrible period at the start of 1979 when a kind of anomie engulfs the government. Jim himself deeply depressed, telling Kenneth Stowe, his private secretary, I let the country down. And the final area, just dealing with very briskly, I hope, uh, his retirement is also covered. This is actually where the London School of Economics papers are particularly helpful. They show, uh, for example, Jim's connection with his constituency, uh, which he says nothing about in his autobiography at all. And yet it was absolutely, I mean, I know from my very personal experience in South Wales, it was absolutely crucial base uh, for him in Cardiff South 
Cardiff southeast, uh, uh, straddling Butte Town on the one hand and the villadom of Penarth on the other. Uh, this is illustrated, in particular, the growth of uh, CND and militant uh, in Jim's constituency, uh, and that was uh, well, um, that is well illustrated. Uh, Jim emerging victorious. See, he wasn't bullied by Mr. Paisley in Northern Ireland, and he wasn't going to be bullied uh, in his older age by militant uh, in Cardiff. And then after that, he is, I think, not only in many ways uh, a model prime minister, but a model ex-prime minister, not playing politics with his uh, successor, as some other prime ministers one could think of have done, uh, but uh, focusing on uh, major themes, international policy, the global economy, and uh, having a very constructive and creative retirement. So I think these papers reflect a very remarkable uh, career. As others here were, I was present in Westminster Abbey when Dennis Healy, in the presence, I recall, of Mrs. Thatcher and Tony Blair, described Jim as our best prime minister since Attlee. That no doubt went, went down well, uh, but it was uh, an interesting period. I, I, I don't think his premiership was just an interlude. I think a book like uh, uh, Hugo Young's very interesting book on Britain and Europe, I mean, just dashes through Jim's period, and there are many, many important themes. I think his administration had a, a tone and a style uh, of its own. He progressed from being a narrow partisan, famous for fiddling the boundary commissions in Labour's favour, to acquiring a very strong uh, reputation across party. He was a pragmatist, but he had a very strong sense of values, and particularly of Labour values. And I recall his expressing to me his uh, great, well, disgust, really, when uh, Tony Blair, before some outfit called, I think, the Venture Capitalist Association, a uh, very natural forum for a Labour Prime Minister, uh, when he, he, he said that he still had scars from his back, on his back from the public sector unions. I remember Jim shaking his head, and how could a Labour Prime Minister say such a thing? He also had a very strong sense of history. In a curious way, I think he had a stronger sense of labor history than dear Michael Foote, whose life I also had the privilege of writing. Michael was really into uh, traditional radicalism down to Byron and Hazlitt and so on, but not necessarily committed to the history. Didn't perhaps have the same uh, emotional feel for it as Jim did. Uh, Nigel Lawson, who encountered Jim and opposed him in the Commons, described Jim to me as a big man. I think that's what he was. I'm very proud to have written his life, and I think these papers offer vital clues to his reputation as a statesman and as a human being. <laughs>